सहनावतु सहनौ भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाह तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावह So in the Katopanishad, Yama has the Lord of Death has started answering the little boy Nachiketa's question about the nature of uh, the Atman. What is our real nature? Who are we, or what are we? And there he has introduced uh, the famous chariot analogy um, in order to teach us about our real nature, which is very subtle, difficult to grasp. So he starts where we are. and to help us to make it easy and uh, entertaining he says think of yourself as an suv or you know what what you see yourself as a chariot like a car a limousine or something um, this body is the chariot and uh, the uh, senses especially the sense organs so why the sense organs you know one one might ask this question if you're just saying body mind is a chariot isn't everything included in the chariot the um, uh, if you say the body is the chariot the senses are also there mind is also there uh, intellect is also there why mention them separately because there is a point to this analogy it's not just to describe the body mind it is to describe the body mind in such a way that uh, the teacher yama can lead us step by step into subtler and subtler realms of our being and finally point out who we are so here is the chariot um i mean by and large on the whole it's this body then notice something the horses uh, which pull the chariot uh, they, they are the five senses these are the ones which pull us outwards into the world and these senses run on roads like the horses run on roads on lanes what are the roads uh, they run on the five sense objects you know i see form ears hear sound nose uh, smells tongue tastes the skin touches and so on and then these senses are controlled by the mind so the mind is um, uh, is the one instrument which is called the inner instrument antakarna the inner instrument through which we control the senses notice eyes may be open but if you if you're not attentive you won't notice what's in front of you the ears are open sound is coming in not attentive you won't hear Uh, what is coming in so mind is important all the senses will take the information from the world from the sense objects it will internalize those sense objects sight a form sound smell taste touch all will be internalized and dumped in the mind so the mind is the instrument where the senses all coalesce together and where you can control the senses you can direct the senses see this hear that don't see that don't hear this all of this is done by the mind it is like the reins holding the senses then um deeper than that is so the mind is like the reins which can control the horses and who is the holding the reins it's like the 
driver driving the limousine has the steering wheel in his hand. So the reins which hold the horses are in the hands of the charioteer. So the charioteer is compared to our intellect, the capacity to understand. It's the same. We might say mind and intellect, aren't they the same thing? Inner instrument, yes. But remember, again, we are dividing and subdividing with a purpose. There's a design to this example, this analogy, which is to take us to subtler and subtler aspects of our being. So body, physical body, then the sensory system, more subtle, far more subtle sensory system, even more subtle than that, the inner instrument mind. By the way, why inner instrument? Why are you calling it inner? The senses have these two aspects. The senses contact the external world and they're also in touch with your, our internal world, isn't it? The senses can see forms which are out there and then they are, they are bringing it into us, uh, into our uh, inner awareness. They hear sound from out there and then bring it into our inner awareness. They um, smell and taste and touch external world, but they're also inward turned because they bring it the world into ourselves. But inside the mind, the mind only contacts the senses. The mind cannot directly contact things in the world outside. So the mind is called inner instrument. Senses will dump their information, inner instrument. More subtle than that, yes, buddhi, intellect, is also an inner, in a part of the inner instrument. But it is the faculty by which we understand things. Where this Vedanta which we are understanding, that is buddhi. So buddhi is compared to the charioteer who holds the reins of the um, chariot, who holds the steering wheel. Just like the mind is used, buddhi uses the mind to control uh, the senses. The charioteer uses the reins to control the horses, to direct the horses. Great. That's it? No, that's not it. None of this, this is the claim of Vedanta, none of this is actually you. All of this is meant for you but you are distinct from all of this. You are the passenger. You have called an Uber. You are not the Uber, the car. You are not the, uh, um, the engine or the instruments. You are not the steering wheel. You are not even the driver. You are not any of it. You are the unconcerned person who sits at the back. The, the whole machinery and the driver and everything, activities going on is for your sake so that you can reach the goal. So you are the, the sentient being, the jivatma, who's sitting in the chariot, in this body-mind complex. And this whole activity of life which is going on is for your sake, so that you reach your goal. Where do you want to go? Uh, you want to uh, go to your own real self. So how amazing and poetic it is. The journey is from yourself to yourself. The, um, uh, one Christian mystic, I think, spiritual journey. He says it is the flight of the alone to the alone. First alone is small a. We are alone, basically. Our life, basically we are alone. Although we think we are with a lot of people, we are utterly, utterly alone. We surround ourselves with activities and people and relationships and problems and goals of life. None of them were there earlier. None of them will be there later. And Gaudapada says that which was not there earlier, that which will not be there later, also does not exist now. It's a dream. You are utterly alone. That's very scary. There's nothing, nobody I can contact. But spirituality is the flight of the alone to the alone. The other alone is capital A alone. Capital A alone is Ekaha, the one, one reality. Brahman, existence, consciousness, place. This flight... This journey is the spiritual journey. 
But Vedanta says it's an entirely internal journey. From you who does not know yourself to you who will know yourself. From the small self to the capital self. Then what kind of journey? How, how is it? It can't be going to a place because I am here, right here. It can't be waiting that I will, the real self will come later. No, real self must be here because I am here now. I am here, here in this place. I am here now and I am myself. So it cannot be a journey from one place to another place. It cannot be a journey from one time to another time. It cannot be a journey from one object, myself, to something else. It can only be a journey from ignorance to knowledge, from not knowing what I am to knowing what I, um, uh, what I truly am. That is the journey. But it is imagined as a chariot journey, like an Uber ride or uh, like that. You have to go from one place to another. Um, then, some pre the disciplines were given by Yama. Before he gives the actual core teaching, which we will see now, he gave the disciplines. We have already read that. What are the disciplines? The senses must be trained. They must be brought under control. First, sense control. Just the horses must be trained. Then the second, the mind must be uh, attentive. Attention must be trained. Mindfulness. Literally, that word is used. Samanaska. So the reins must be tight and under control. Otherwise, you cannot control the horses. If the steering wheel is loose, you throw it this way and that way the vehicle does not respond, then you are in trouble. And the driver cannot do anything. The, the reins must be tight and uh, fixed to the horses. The mind must be attentive. This is the practice of mindfulness. Training of attention. Then, third one is the intellect. The charioteer must know, the driver must know where you want to go. So the intellect must have Vedantic knowledge of who am I. See, doesn't the Atman require, I require that knowledge, why should the intellect have it? No. I am the witness consciousness. Knowledge is the function of in, uh, intellect. Thinking is the function of attention and thinking is a function of mind. Perceiving is the function of the five senses. So these are the different functions and they are all for me. Yes, the knowledge is for me, but actual work will be done by intellect. So the intellect must be informed with Vedantic knowledge. The mind must be controlled and trained to pay attention, mindful. And the senses must be uh, trained. Purification of the senses. We discussed last time the elephant and the mouth and the elephant, uh, how the elephant can be trained only by repetition, nothing else. Basically, this is the same structure of sadhana which we have talked about again and again in Vedanta. You see, the matrix of the threefold sadhana. One is karma yoga gives purity of uh, mind, chitta shuddhi. Then uh, upasana gives concentration of mind, ekagrata. And then uh, jnana yoga gives through shavana manan nididhyasana the Vedantic knowledge of who am I to the intellect. So these three stages of sadhana. Now, what happens when all the conditions are fulfilled? He says in the mantra number nine, which we have done. Vijnana sarathi ryastu manapragrahavan naraha svadhvana paramapnoti tadvishno paramampadam. So if your um, senses are disciplined and under control, if the mind is attentive and the intellect is well informed, 
charioteer knows where to go, what to do. The, and the reins are tight and in the hands of the charioteer, the horses are well trained. Then the passenger will reach the goal, his destination. What is the goal in this case? Tad Vishnu Paramam Padam, the, the highest abode of Vishnu. Now, immediately Shankaracharya comments here. Here, Vishnu means Satchidananda, existence consciousness place. And the highest uh, abode of Vishnu is not going to heaven, is not uh, Vaikuntha, going to some other place, not the dualistic kind of religion, which, you know, when you say highest abode of Vishnu, it sounds like, oh, you have to go to, after death, you will have to go to heaven and stay with Vishnu, like the dualistic, theistic religion. No, Shankaracharya makes a very pertinent comment, observation, before starting the next mantra. He says that Aduna yat padam gantavyam. Now, that goal which you are supposed to go to, and going is also in a secondary, in a symbolic sense. You are not actually going anywhere. That goal which you are supposed to go to, that highest abode of Vishnu, what is that? He says, Pratyagatmataya avigama kattavyam. Kattavyam. It has to be realized, that highest abode of Vishnu has to be realized as your inner self. What does that mean? It's you. Vishnu, the highest abode of Vishnu, Satchidananda, the absolute existence, consciousness, bliss, is you. This has to be realized. Adhigama Kattabhya. The goal now is to realize this. So, the teaching starts now. All of this was to set the stage. Now the core teaching, the instruction to the charioteer, the teaching to the intellect, the Vedantic teaching will be given now. So much effort was to make sure that the chariot is in good shape, horses are right, uh, in good shape, all the equipment is working nicely. Now you have to tell the intellect, tell the buddhi about our real nature. The real Vedantic instruction will now start. The mantra number 10. Indriyebhya parayartha arthebhyascha parammana manasastu parabuddhi buddheratma mahan paraha. Superior to, higher than the senses uh, are the sense objects. I'm translating now. Higher than the sense objects is the mind. Higher than the mind is the intellect. Higher than the intellect is the cosmic mind or the Hiranyagarbha, Mahat. And higher than the Mahat will come next. I'm reading the next one also. Mahata param abhyaktam abhyaktat purusha para purushana parang kinchit sakashthasa paragati. So higher than Mahat. I'll read Swami Gambhiranji's translation. Higher than Mahat is the unmanifested, Abhyakta. The Purusha is higher than the unmanifested. There is nothing higher than the Purusha. That Purusha is the culmination. That is the highest goal. Okay. A lot has been said here. First of all, I want to make a comment about um, Sri Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. He almost verbatim quotes this in the third chapter. See, why I want to make this observation? We always say, 
what Krishna teaches in the Gita is basically the Upanishads. And sometimes he's actually quoting original mantras from the Upanishads. So what Krishna quotes in the um, third chapter of the Gita, I think it is the 42nd verse, yes. Krishna quotes in third chapter Gita, chapter 3, verse number 42. Indriyani paranyahu indriyebhya paramana manasastu parabuddhi yo buddhi paratastusa. The senses are said to be superior to their objects. Superior to the senses is the mind. Superior to the mind is the intellect. That which is superior to the intellect is the self. It is Atma. Okay. First we shall see what the Upanishad said. You can see he has slightly changed. Krishna has slightly changed the, uh, the mantra. We'll first see what the Upanishad said and uh, why it is a little difficult. And we'll see how Sri Krishna has simplified it in the Bhagavad Gita. But the same thing, same teaching. What did the Upanishad say? The senses, higher, superior to the senses, subtler than the senses. So higher means uh, more pervasive, um, more inward and more subtle than the senses are the sense objects. Here itself, we run into, an, into a problem. What, how can the objects be more inward than the senses? How can uh, the objects which are gross and outside be superior to the senses? Uh, always uh, in philosophy, you'll see the subtler is more powerful than the gross. A physical body, more powerful than that nervous system. More powerful than that mind. More powerful than that intellect. Subtler and subtler. But that the powerful one is controlling the other one. How are the sense objects in any way superior to the senses? What I taste or see, these objects, how is it superior to the eyes or the tongue or the ears? So what is meant here is actually the sense objects are the subtle things which are, uh, which are grasped by the senses. By sense object, it does not mean, so I'm looking at the pen here, it does not mean that the pen is superior to the eyes. Not that way. What it means is, when the eyes look at the pen, they, they grasp the form. And that form is internalized. That's what the senses generate. Uh, so in that sense, the sense objects, the forms, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, touch, grasped by the senses, already internalized. Yeah. That one is superior to the senses themselves. Because those are the ones which will guide the senses, which, which, which the senses are trying to grasp and they will pull us. I want to see that form. I want to hear not the particular object itself, which is outside. Uh, it is the subtle form of that object which is already grasped by the senses and internalized. More deeper meaning of this. Why? When you'll see now why Vedanta Sare is very useful. How are uh, sense objects uh, superior to the senses? What is meant by the sense objects are the tanmatras. The uh, form, sound, smell, touch, which we, we, we grasp, which we experience, they are not the physical uh, earth, water, fire, air, uh, space. Rather, you remember in uh, Vedanta Sar, we studied panchikaranam. Panchikaranam means from the atma emerged, uh, sky and um, fire, uh, air and fire and water and um, earth. But we were told those are the subtle forms of the five elements. 
Then those subtle forms were mixed together to make the gross forms of the five elements. Out of the gross forms of the five elements, entire universe, physical universe is formed, which we see now. In Sanskrit, when the five panchabhuta, five elements first emerged, they were in a subtle form. So the space, fire, air, which we, which I talked about, are not the physical space, fire, air, which we see right now, we experience right now. They are a subtle form. And out of those subtle forms, they're mixed together to make the five gross elements. Now, remember, in Vedanta Sar, it was said, out of those subtle tanmatras, the tanmatra means the subtle elements. What are the subtle elements? Subtle space, subtle fire, subtle air, subtle water, subtle earth. They're not anything at all like the physical things which we experience. Out of them, what were produced? The antakkarana was produced out of that. Mind, intellect, memory, the five senses were produced out of that. Senses means the five sense powers. And then the objects which the senses will sense, they were produced out of the gross um, uh, five elements. So pancha sukshma bhuta, pancha sthula bhuta. The pancha sukshma bhuta are mixed up to form the senses and the mind and intellect and all that. So, add, so these subtle elements, they are superior to the senses. Why? It is out of these subtle elements that the senses are made. Now, when Upanishad says, Indriyabhya parahyartha, higher than the senses are the, what it, artha here are the sense elements, the tanmatras. So, tanmatras are definitely superior to the senses because the sense powers are built out of those tanmatras. And superior to the sense powers, the tanmatras are the mind uh, in which they are in which all the perceptions are finally dumped by the senses. The mind is superior to the um, sense uh, objects, the, the tanmatras. And higher than the mind, because the mind itself is objectified and grasped, the, is the intellect, the buddhi. Um, mind is manomaya kosha, buddhi is vijnanamaya kosha. It is, that is the terminology which comes out of Taittiriya Upanishad. Senses, especially the uh, karmendriyas, motor organs, are part of the pranamaya kosha. And the um, indriyas are part of the manomaya and vijnanamaya kosha. So the vijnanamaya kosha is superior to the manomaya kosha. Superior in the sense of three things. It is um, mahattara, high, uh, vaster, more pervasive. Um, antara, more inwards and sukshmatara, more subtle. And one can control the other. The mind can control the senses and the intellect can control the mind. So the um, mind, the intellect is superior to the mind. Buddhi is superior to the manas. Now one more complication is there. It says that superior to the buddhi is the cosmic mind, Hiranyagarbha. It calls it mahat which is sort of Sankhyan terminology. Suddenly we have gone from the individual. So far, individual body, senses, mind, intellect, and suddenly to the vast. It says that your intellect, Vijnanamaya Kosha, is a tiny, tiny part of a vast ocean of mind. Mind, intellect, all of that. A vast ocean called the cosmic mind. Hiranyagarbha. Of which a tiny part is your mind. 
and this this cosmic mind is endowed with the three powers gyan ichha kriya shakti gyan shakti the ability to know knowledge ichha shakti the ability to will and kriya the ability to act all these powers emerge not in sachidanand in pure consciousness they emerge at the level of mind cosmic mind and we have a tiny bit of that power also um so know that um, so so higher than superior to vaster than subtler than your individual intellect is the cosmic mind hiranyagarbha the next higher than superior than subtler than more internal to cosmic mind is maya abhyakta and higher than subtler than superior to the maya is consciousness purusha okay this seems to be an unending train what's next what is higher than superior to subtler than nothing consciousness is the highest reality the final reality and your goal which goal ultimate goal why ultimate goal because there is no return from that goal na nivartanti adgatvana nivartanti attaining which there is no return to this world anymore so that's your final goal now so what do we have here the upanishad is giving us the vedantic teaching yama is giving us the core vedantic idea to be applied we'll see how to apply it but first of all start with the senses the senses are there superior to them are the subtle elements out of which the senses are made superior to that is the mind superior higher inward to that is the intellect superior higher more inward to that is the cosmic mind hiranyagarbha Yeah. superior higher more in, inward than that is maya abhyakta the unmanifest it's called unmanifest because everything is unmanifest at that level at the level of mind things become manifest superior higher finally is consciousness itself okay this is the teaching uh-huh. now notice what krishna has done with the teaching just as a uh, you know an aside in the third chapter 42nd verse krishna has, has completely uh, you know has, has remarkably simplified the teaching made it very clear and elegant he says krishna says 42nd verse indriyani paranyahu indriyebhya param manaha senses are superior to their objects what did the upanishad say objects are superior to the senses then we had to give a very technical meaning to the word object because clearly this object is not superior to the senses uh, we had to give a meaning that subtle, subtle tanmatras sukshma tanmatras are superior to the uh, senses which are constituted out of the sukshma tanmatras that meaning we had to give but here sri krishna says your senses first is the object higher than that subtler than that in more inward than that is your sense power which can experience the object then indriyabhya param mana superior to all the five senses is the mind who directs attention to the senses controls the senses and which all the information from the senses is dumped that is the mind it is higher higher superior inwards subtler manasas tu para buddhi higher than superior than more inwards to subtler than mind is intellect the power of understanding and then higher than that yo buddhe paratastu saha 
that which is higher than the intellect is consciousness, is the Atman, you, the witness consciousness. Finished. See, at each stage, we can track it with our own experience. Start with object, go to the senses, from there go to the mind, pay attention to the mind, from the mind to the uh, understanding intellect, beyond that, the witness consciousness. Notice, he has left out a few interesting things. For, all for the sake of clarity and simplicity. He did not uh, introduce that complication of uh, the subtle tanmatras are, more, are superior to the um, senses. That is an additional complication. He dropped that. Then, uh, the intellect, beyond from that you go to the cosmic mind. Hiranyagarbha, he dropped that. Beyond that, you go to the blankness, the uh, maya. He dropped that. That which is experiencing your thoughts, activities of your thoughts, and yes, the absence of your thoughts in deep sleep, for example. All of that is experienced by you, the consciousness. That consciousness you are, that is Purusha. So this is what Sri Krishna has done. Uh, same teaching, but a little more um, uh, simplified, more elegant and direct. But it comes at a cost. You know what the cost is? The cost is you've lost something in this, in this process. I'll give you the most serious problem. Here, the Upanishad opened up to the cosmic mind. Um, you, you see your own intellect, your understanding, sense of understanding, which we are using to understand Vedanta. That's just a part of the, all the intellects, all the minds of the universe. And then from there you go to what is beyond the mind. What happens to us in deep sleep? Blankness. From there, the cosmic mind. What is behind the cosmic mind? Maya. The power of Maya. Abhyakta. In the unmanifest. Beyond that is the consciousness which is experiencing it. Which consciousness? You. Now, the advantage of this is already you are operating at a cosmic level. One big problem you have avoided. If you do it the way Sri Krishna is showing you, then you will end up by feeling, okay, here are the objects, here is the senses, here is the mind, here is the intellect. Beyond that, I am the witness consciousness. Good. But now two problems will remain. One is, how many witness consciousnesses are there? There are so many bodies, so many minds, so many intellects. So are there many, many consciousnesses? And what about God? What about this power behind the entire universe? That those problems will remain. And what uh, Sri Krishna has shown is a very, it takes you to the Sankhyan level of understanding. Whereas the Upanishad, by going to, you know, from using the Vigyanamaya Kosha as a door to the cosmic mind, it already has brought in the cosmos, the oneness. When you realize consciousness is the witness of Maya, already you are one with Ishwara there. The, the, you know the unity, that it's one consciousness, which is behind all minds. Not just one mind. That problem, that question will not arise anymore. Oneness is the message. So Sri Krishna will have to work later. In 13th chapter, he will have to say, Kshetragyam Chapimam Vidhi Sarvakshetre Shubharata. I am the one consciousness, one Purusha behind all minds. This is the extra work he has to do later on, which the Upanishad accomplishes at one stroke. All right. Now let's see some unique nature of all of this.
So what is the teaching here? Notice at each step, I am not it. I am not the objects of the senses, very clear. I am not the senses themselves. From the perspective of the mind, when you say, from the perspective of the mind, you just start, start with the object themselves. Um, here is an object. I'm showing you the essence of the teaching. Here is an object. And here are the eyes seeing the object. Now ask yourself, where am I? Am I there, the object, or am I here seeing it? Common sense. What does it feel like? It feels like I am here seeing it. The self is the senses and the object is not self, anatma. What is anatma, not self? That which is appearing to the self. What is this pen? It's something that is appearing to the eyes. What is an appearance? Name and, name and form. Appearance is the name, form and function. Nama, Rupa, Vivahara. It's a name, pen. It's a particular form. And it has a particular function. That's it. Name, form, and function by themselves, they are what is called mithya, appearance. Name, form, and function is the very definition of mithya. So if this is an appearance, it cannot be anything other than the sensory system itself. A very subtle point is being made here. By, you might say, no, no, there is a pen outside. By the time you are seeing the pen, it is nothing more, as, more than a sensory input. True or not? After all, what is involved in seeing the pen? Even modern physiology will tell you. Um, the light is reflected of the pen, then it goes into your eyes and an image is formed and optic nerves will carry electrical impulses to the brain center and somehow there you get a visual perception of a pen. By the time it comes to your eyes, there's no pen, only light. Correct? Of course, if the pen actually came to your eyes, you'd be blind. <laughs> if the pen entered my eyes, it would be blind. Only light enters the eyes. The eyes can only take light. Uh, suppose there is a huge car crash and you hear a thunderous sound or, or a, like a drill working in the street outside. You hear a hammering sound. What enters the uh, ears? Not the um, jackhammer, not the drill. You die if that happens. Only sound waves. It enters the eyes, the, the light, and after that, it's no longer light. An image is formed on the retina, and then it's no longer an image, only tiny bursts of electricity in our neurons racing to the brain center. By the time it goes there, just tiny neuronal activity, and finally, it is nothing more than a perception of a pen. That perception of the pen is nothing other than the sensory activity itself. Even modern physiology will agree with that. That the object you are directly perceiving right now, doesn't matter whether it's outside or not, object that you're directly perceiving right now is nothing other than the activity of your senses. This is called pravilapanam, merging. You merge the object back into the senses. Now consider the senses. Higher than the senses is the mind. From the mental as from mind, if you consider, pay attention to the eyes or the ears or the nose or, you will find they are objects they are instruments they are not you when i use the pen pen is an object and an instrument for me it's not me i am not the pen when you are experiencing the eyes opening eyes closing eyes from the mind perspective where are you are you in are you the mind or are you the uh, blinking eyes you will feel i am the mind aware of the blinking eyes correct so the eyes are not me. 
not self mind is the self eyes are not self um, anatma what is anatma appearance to the self not self means it's an appearance to the self what is an appearance name form and function what is the form this is the eyes what is the um, name eyes what is the uh, um, function this is opening closing all these things it is seeing focusing these are the functions and they are nothing but name form and function means mithya appearance no not an independent existence by the time the senses are being follow this carefully by the time the senses are being experienced by the mind in the mind they are nothing other than chitta vrittis mental modifications you have a mental activity cognition of the form of visual perception you have the mental activity or cognition of the form of auditory perception in the mind there is no eyes or ears or nose or tongue it is cognition in the mind is cognition only true or not once something comes into the mind it is mind only it's not that in the mind there is a mind and one more eyes is there the information which was visual information in the brain centers has now become uh, a thought in the mind a chitta vritti what is in the mind must be mind only so this is the merging of sensory perception back into mind what did we do earlier we merged objects into sensory perception sensory perception now we are merging back into mind thinking this is called pravilapanam merging now all these thoughts feelings emotions memories they are all being understood cognized or they they are objects to the intellect which is basically higher function of the mind on for for our purposes we are just dividing is subtler you are able to understand all this mind becomes not self the mind becomes an object intellect becomes the self i am the intellect understanding these objects i am understanding my own mind i am understanding don't we say that's what you do in a um, you know a psychologist a counselor's office counselor will tell us let us now try to understand our emotions our thought processes what is trying to understand thought processes intellect is a whole the most popular form of therapy now is cognitive behavior therapy what is cognitive cbt what is cognitive behavior therapy you take the you don't call patient anymore you take the client and ask the client's own intellect to understand the problems and solutions of the client's own thoughts and behavior language and behavior this is what you are doing this is what you are saying this is how you are feeling and thinking now logically analyze this who will do that logical analysis you are the intellect of the client the faculty of understanding that means intellect is making the mind into an object then where are you are you the mind or are you the intellect i am the intellect the mind becomes anatma not self anatma is an appearance to the self the mind is appearing to the intellect and this appearance is nothing but name form and function nama roopa vyavahar name form and function is another name for maya or mithya it's an mithya it's a false appearance it's an appearance it's not a reality apart from the intellect it's nothing other than intellect or understanding now the intellect itself i am now not going into the uh, the 
the subtle and difficult move, moves that the Upanishad is making, cosmic mind and then Maya and all. So the intellect itself is, uh, is observed, is illumined, lit up by consciousness, which is the Purusha. Purusha is called consciousness. I, the consciousness, I light up my own intellect. I'm aware of my intellect. Then who am I? Am I the intellect or am I consciousness? What is the self? The intellect becomes an object. If I understand something, I'm aware of understanding. If I don't understand something, I'm aware of not understanding. I'm aware of the functioning of the intellect. The intellect is an object. Where am I? Am I on the side of the intellect or on the side of consciousness? I am consciousness. And I'm aware of the intellect. So intellect is not self. Not self means an appearance. Intellect is an appearance to consciousness or inconsciousness. Appearance means name, form and function. Nama, Rupa, Vyavahara. Which is another way of saying false. It's not an independent separate reality. It is nothing other than consciousness which is appearing in the form of intellect. I am consciousness and everything that appears to me is it's an appearance, it's mithya, it's false. What is the, what does, what appears to me? Intellect. And through the intellect, the mind. Through the mind, the five sense organs, sense inputs. Through the five sense inputs, the entire world. All of this is nothing other than name, form and functions, nothing other than mithya, nothing other than appearances in me. Who am I? I am the self, purusha, consciousness, awareness. So, also note that uh, the abhyakta, the unmanifest, which we did not discuss, it corresponds to the anandamaya kosha. So, if you want to classify, the indriyas will co correspond roughly to pranamaya and manomaya kosha. The mind corresponds to the manomaya kosha. The intellect corresponds to vijnanamaya kosha. And the abhyakta, the um, unmanifest, corresponds to anandamaya kosha. Beyond that is consciousness, which is you. Now, he says, the Purushafpara, the transcendent consciousness, supreme consciousness is beyond Maya, beyond the Anandamaya Kosha. Purushana Param Kinchit. No, there could be something beyond that. Anything higher? He says, no. Shankaracharya, he comments here. Sarva Karana Karanatvat. It is the cause of all causes, which is, which is pure consciousness. Pratyagatmatvacha. It is the innermost self. Why can't there be anything inner to pure consciousness? Because if there is anything inner, then that would become the self and then consciousness would become an object. But consciousness can never be an object. Consciousness is that to which everything is an object. Isn't that the definition of consciousness? Anidam. You cannot classify consciousness as this. Every object can be classified as this. Consciousness itself can never become an object. If you say there's something more inert to consciousness, I am, there's the self is inert to consciousness, more subtle than consciousness, then consciousness will become not self. It will become an object. But consciousness cannot be an object. Physical objects are objects. Sensory activities are objects. Mind, thoughts are objects. Intellectual understanding is object. 
even blankness is an object deep sleep but all of these are objects to you the consciousness consciousness itself cannot be an object so it is the innermost there is nothing inner than that tato anyasya parasya prasangam nivarayannaha purushanna param kinchit says shankaracharya says in order to negate the possibility that someone might say there is might be something higher than consciousness he says no that's why the upanishad says there is nothing higher subtler more inward than consciousness and because it is the highest shankaracharya himself says tasmad sukshmatva mahatva pratyagatmatvanam sakashtha nishtha paryavasanam because there is nothing subtler than consciousness nothing vaster more pervasive than consciousness nothing more inward than consciousness therefore it is kashta kashta means the final the ultimate beyond which there can be nothing more then he says then the upanishad says sa paragati that's your ultimate destination destination of whom the chariot where is the chariot going to consciousness the highest consciousness the inward it's an inward journey shankaracharya beautifully says here ateva cha gantrinam sarva gatimatam samsarinam para prakrishta gati so for all those who travel what a nice way of putting it for all those who travel where are they traveling samsara lifetime to lifetime here is the final resting place where is the final resting place for me you are your own final resting place your own higher self and he quotes from gita here in the upanishad commentary he quotes yad gatvana nibattante ha tad dhama paramam mama so in the bhagavad gita it is said 15th um chapter 15 yad gatvana nibattante ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಫೈನಲ್ after all if you are saying from ignorance we went to knowledge we can come back to ignorance again we are thinking about it in terms of worldly knowledge and ignorance you learn something you can forget it we forget so many things so isn't it possible you become enlightened i understand you realize you brahm you are brahman but maybe you forget it maybe you fall back into ignorance again so he says the question he raises is nanu gatishched agatya api bhavitavyam so if there is attainment if there is a journey it is a return also it's possible you can you can come back from it why are you saying it you don't come back from it why are you saying it's final why 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 not impermanent it could you can realize something and forget it again shankaracharya says no this fault does not arise naisha doshaha what so a very important point he makes sarvasya pratyagatmatvad avagatireva gatiriti upacharyate simple and very important point here journey goal 
all of this is a symbolic way of speaking. What is meant here? Understanding, realization is meant here. Why? Because Sarvasya Pratyagatmatva, this consciousness is the innermost self of everybody. That means it is always there. It is you right now, it must be there. It is there all the time, everywhere, and it is you yourself. So it cannot be a journey in space. It cannot be a journey in time. It cannot be a journey from you to something else. So in the Christian mystics language, the flight of the alone to the alone, small a to the capital A, which is also the small a and the capital A are the same. In the Mundaka Upanishad version, the two birds, the lower bird is hopping up and up to the higher bird. But then finally, what happens? It, it's lost in the radiance of the higher bird and realizes there was no lower bird at all. So Shankaracharya says this, you cannot fall from it because you have never fallen. This is the interesting thing you realize. And he says, Pratyagatmatvam chadarshitam indriya mano buddhi paratvena. It is the innermost self because notice the language of the Upanishad. It talks about senses and then the mind, then the intellect and inward and inward set to be the innermost self. That means it is you yourself. It's not talking about some God out there, some heaven out there, some goal out there. It is, we're talking about you. So it is not a journey. And then he gives a very beautiful quote. Uh, from a very obscure source. I'll first give you the quote. The quote is so beautiful. Tathajashruti. And thus say the Upanishads. Anadhvaga adhvasu parishnavaha. Those who want to go beyond uh, samsara, they do not walk on roads. Anadhvaga. Their path is as a pathless path. It's literally the language used by Jindu Krishnamurti. He said, truth is a pathless path. So, this is not a traveling on any path. Anadhvaga, adhvasu, pareishnavaha. The ones who want to go beyond all paths, the ones who want to go beyond all traveling, they do not travel by road. They do not travel by paths. So, that means it's not a journey from one place to another, from one state to another state, from one time to another time. No. It's a realization, basically. Then the next mantra is also beautiful. Let me just read it and we'll conclude. Um, so, this is the teaching. Twelfth. And how to do it, he will give a technique later. Esha sarveshu bhuteshu gudhotmana prakashate drishyate tvagraya buddhya sukshmaya sukshmadarshibhi. Let me see. Kambiranji's translation. He is hidden in all beings and hence he does not appear as the self of all, but by the seers of subtle things he is seen. Uh, through a pointed and fine intellect. Okay. So what was said here? Where is this Atman, this Purusha? Sarveshu Bhuteshu Atma. 
is in all beings. But, so it should be clear. What is, should be more clear than I am me, myself? So, no, it's not clear. Gurha, it is hidden. Hidden where? In everybody. Most, it's called the open secret. It's openly there, but hidden. Na prakashate. It's not clear. It's not revealed. It's not uh, known by, though it is their innermost being, it's not known by these beings. Shankaracharya comments here. Very uh, heartfelt comment. I'll read out to you. The very soaring and, and you know, uh, sorrowful language. Aho ati gambhira duravagahya vichitra maya cheyam. Alas, how profound and deep and unfathomable and strange is maya. Why? Yadayam sarvo jantuhu paramarthataha paramarthas satattva api paramartha satattva api evam bodhyamano aham paramatmaiti nagrinhyat nagrinhati So, all these beings, if they are given the highest teaching, like we just did, that you are Brahman, aham paramatmaiti nagrinhyat they don't grasp, I am Satchitananda. I am immortal being. I am pure consciousness. I am ever fulfilled. Everything is perfect and all right. They don't grasp it. Then, Atmanam Deha Indriyadi Sanghatam Atmano Drishyamanam Api Ghatadivat Atmatvena Atmatvena Aham Amushya Putra Iti Anuchyamano Api Grinhati. On the contrary, Though body, senses, mind, and intellect are things, he says, Drishyamanopi, Ghatadivat, like a clay pot. Just as you would not concern yourself with this little uh, object, it's a thing. This body is a thing. The sensory system is a thing. Our minds, thoughts are so precious, memories, ideas, they're things. Our intellect is a thing. Even our understanding is a thing, it's an object. It is not you. They're just objects like all other objects. You are always free of it, completely free of it. And yet, we take it as I am this body, I am this mind, I am this intellect. This is Aham Amushya Putra. Nobody has told you you are body, mind, intellect and the son of so-and-so, and the husband, wife of so-and-so, and this. No, you are infinite awareness, existence, consciousness, bliss. Even without being told this, that you are uh, the son of so-and-so, you are this body, you are this mind, you take it. Naturally, they take it to be so. That I am a body, I am the mind, I am, this is my father, mother. Father, mother is of the body. Misery, uh, glory, um, insult of the mind, not you at all. One sadhu in Uttarakhand put it nicely. Matmaji, jo hai, usko do. Don't displace anything, oh monk. Whatever belongs to where, you know, don't put things, put things where they belong. Illness, tiredness, um, you know, sickness, body. Unhappiness, depression, lack of fulfillment, anger, mind. 
illness is not of you the consciousness old age is not of you the consciousness it belongs to, it's there it belongs to the body let put put it in the body don't misplace it what is misplacing it uh, old tired miser you know sick body listen no i am old i am tired i am sick no you are aware of the body being tired old and sick put it back where it belongs to belongs to the body give it back to the body not mine how can consciousness be old then mind misery uh, frustration anger i am angry i am sad i have sorrow i have depression no they belong to the mind you are misplacing it put it back where it belongs without being told also shankaracharya says they accepted naturally i am body mind and all the relations of the world even after being taught you are satchidananda brahman you don't understand why aho ati gambhira duravagaiha vichitra maya chayam because it is so profound unfathomable alas so powerful is is maya but cannot can it not be seen of course it can be seen it can be seen by what by the mind by the intellect buddhya by intellect you can see by the mind you can see immediately objection somebody raises the objection just a minute so many places it has been said that it is beyond the mind cannot be seen by the mind kenopanishad says yan manasana manute yenahur manomatam tadeva brahmatvam vidhi nedam yadidam upasate that which the mind cannot understand by which the mind is illumined know that to be brahman not some object what you think is that this is brahman which you worship as an object not that that which is the witness of the mind that is brahman ken upanishad said now you are saying that it is can be known by the mind upanishad says it cannot be known by the mind now here you are saying it can be known by the by the mind how can you reconcile these two manasaiva anudrashtavyam in another place upanishad says by the mind alone it can be known and in another place upanishad says um that avang manasogocharam it cannot be known by the mind and speech how is it that it can some sometimes it is said it cannot be known by the mind how is it that sometimes it is said it can be known by the mind only what how will you reconcile you can reconcile in at, at whichever level you want to understand simplest way of reconciling is by the prepared mind by the cultivated and trained mind it can be known by the unprepared impure untrained mind it cannot be known that is mentioned here agraya buddhaya agraya buddhaya means by the sharpened mind agraya means sharpened which has been whittled and sharpened and pointed by karma yoga upasana by that that sharpening of the mind it says shankaracharya says sanskritaya purified mind cultivated cultured mind sri ramakrishna says shuddhamonir gochor by the pure mind atman can be realized it cannot be realized by the impure mind it can be realized by the pure mind it cannot be realized by the distracted mind it can be realized by the focused mind concentrated mind so focused concentrated pure mind can realize that's one way of reconciling deeper way that um the what the mind can do and what it cannot do the mind cannot actually realize brahman because 
Brahman is, is uh, that which objectifies the mind. Mind cannot objectify consciousness. So mind cannot actually realize consciousness. Then what can the mind do? The mind can remove the ignorance about our real nature. The ignorance about our real nature is where? In the mind. Knowledge about our real nature will arise where? In the mind. And that knowledge will not reveal Brahman to you. The technical point here, that knowledge will remove the ignorance about Brahman. Brahman is ever shining forth. So suppose I don't know this person, I'm looking around. I heard that one person called, um, say, um, Vinod has come. Then uh, you introduce me. Swami, this is Vinod. Now, what happened? This knowledge, did it enable me to see Vinod? No, I was already seeing Vinod. The knowledge you gave me removed the ignorance from, from my mind about what I was seeing. What was being seen continues to be seen. Now I know, oh, this person who I was already seeing is Vinod. When it comes to the knowledge, understanding of Brahman comes, I am Brahman. I realize, oh, this which I was already experiencing. That knowledge did not give me a new experience of Brahman. It removed the ignorance about what was always continuously available. I didn't see it at all. Now I see it. That knowledge did not enable me to see Brahman. It removed the ignorance. Brahman enabled me to see Brahman. So that is the second level of understanding of what? What mind can do and what mind cannot do. Why is it sometimes said mind can see Brahman? Why is it sometimes said that mind cannot see Brahman? Because of this. Mind cannot see Brahman. Correct. Because the mind cannot illumine Brahman. Mind can see Brahman. Correct. Because the mind can remove the ignorance about Brahman, which is preventing me from realizing Brahman. Even deeper analysis, those who have done Vedantasar, again you'll see why Vedantasar is useful. There was a section at the end of Vedantasar. A question was raised that Upanishads say by the mind alone it can be realized and the Upanishads say it is beyond the mind. How do you reconcile these two? Do you remember the terms? Vritti Vyapti, Phalabhyapti? Correct. Some of you are nodding and smiling. Yes, you remember. Those who don't remember, you have to go back and look at the text and the lectures there. Very technical. The epistemology of enlightenment. What happens during enlightenment? minute tracking of that as far as possible. It is shown what the mind can do. What can it do? Vritti Vyapti. What the mind cannot do for Brahman? Phalabhyapti. For everything else, Vritti Vyapti and Phalabhyapti are necessary for knowing anything in the world. But for realizing Brahman, Vritti Vyapti is necessary. Phalabhyapti is not possible for Brahman, nor necessary. Brahman is Swaprakasha, self-effulgent. What does this mean? Vritti Vyapti, Phalabhyapti, Swaprakasha? Not the time today. You have to. It's already there in the Vedantasar classes. Then it says, not only sharpened mind, sukshmaya, subtle mind. What is subtle mind? Shankaracharya says, sukshma vastu nirupana paraya. That which can ascertain the subtlest reality. Why subtlest reality? Notice every reality which we have talked about, world, senses, mind, intellect, even the unmanifest maya, they are all objects. But that final turn from the object to the subject, that requires a very subtle kind of mind. Uh, and that subtlety doesn't have anything to do with intellect. Uh, many people may be very intelligent, high IQ, still don't get it. Some may have average IQ, but very purified mind. Um, Swami Bhuteshanji used to say, Shukha buddhi na shuddha buddhi. It's by subtle intellect, 
what is meant here is a purified intellect. As the desires are purged from the mind, mind becomes calm, quiet, mature, and that mind can grasp quickly. Even some of the most intelligent philosophers, today I was talking with some NYU students about um, Descartes, who went to the furthest that one can go by inquiry. Everything is false, may may not be true, the body also. But what cannot be doubted is that I am aware. I'm aware of my own thoughts. Therefore, I am there. Kojito or Gosum. Because my thoughts are, uh, are there. Therefore, that proves that I am there. But further than that, he did not go. What is that I who is always there? He says, but we can't know anything about it. He says, how strange, this is the exact quote from Descartes' meditations. How strange it is that that which uh, I am most certain of, I do not know anything about it. And that which I uh, know so much about, I am not at all certain of it. What is it that I know so much about? World. But I can't be certain. Is it real? How do I know? It can be doubted. What cannot be doubted? Awareness, consciousness, I. But I don't know anything about it. Why not? What is the problem? He didn't investigate further. Then he did other things. You cannot know anything about it because you think our knowledge is objective. You're trying to objectify it. You can't. He's right. He, he got it correct. It cannot be objectified. Therefore, he thought, I can't know anything about it. Because our idea is to objectify. Objectify means see with the senses, see or hear, or think with the mind, or understand with the intellect or express with the words, this is objectification. That cannot be done to consciousness. Consciousness is behind all objectification. It makes objectification possible. Hume, another extraordinary philosopher, um, David Hume, the Scottish philosopher, he's sitting and thinking, what is this self where people talk about? When I observe myself most keenly, I find sense perceptions, thoughts, memories, emotions, ideas, but no self. Say, Mr. Hume, you are looking in the wrong direction. What about the one who is looking? One to whom these sense perception, uh, ideas, memories, uh, thoughts are coming and going. The one who is aware of this procession of ideas, thoughts and feelings. That one. But that one is not an object. Notice how just by common sense and inquiry is using almost um, the same language which Yama used. Uh, Yama is using things, saying like things like Indriya, Mana, Buddhi. What did Hume say? Sense perception, thoughts, ideas. Indriya, Mana, Buddhi. But then you stop. That sukshmaya, that subtle turn is necessary to reveal to you that I am the witness of all of this. Now at this point, we have sort of got what, what it is being pointed towards because we are all veteran Vedanta students. We know what Yamas was going to teach. Now next will be an interesting mantra where he will give a technique of how to, if you have got the theory right, now how to make it a living realization. Shankaracharya also says, Pratipatti Upayam, the, the way to enlighten realization of what? Of what has been taught till now. It should become a living reality. I am not the body-mind. Chidananda Rupa, Shivoham. How to come to that? That is next time. Um, let me look at the comments. 
Rick says, is Purusha discussed here synonymous with Brahman? Yes, exactly. It's Brahman. Rama says, in the charioted example, passenger Jivatma is the ego with the reflected consciousness. Is my understanding right? Um, no, uh, it is you who is actually Brahman. Right now, under conditions of ignorance, you are the sentient being. Ego is part of the, um, let's say, the charioteer. It's part of the Vigyanamaya Kosha. Um, and reflected consciousness is on your side. Yes. And you are really none other than um, Brahman. So that is the Jivatma. It's a provisional entity, which we find ourselves as. Where does this Jivatma fit when we go from sense organs to the pure consciousness? Yes, that's what we were doing. That was the journey. Do you remember what I did? Here is the object. Here is the eye, eyes. Huh. On which side am I? The self. The self is the Jivatma. Which is the Jivatma? Is it this pen or is it here? I am here. See how it feels. Check your own experience. Is it simple? I am here. I am looking at that thing. Now blink your eyes. The senses, you know, like the eyes, you open your eyes, close your eyes, the physical eyes. And with the mind, you pay attention to it. Doesn't the eyes also feel like an object? And you feel, I am the mind. Where is the Jivatma now? Mind. Where was the Jivatma earlier? Senses. Now mind. Now consider the mind, thoughts, feelings. Who is understanding all this? Uh, Vijnanamaya Kosha or the Buddhi. Where is the Jivatma now? Buddhi. Uh, what is the mind? It is not self, not Jivatma. Uh, anatma, nama rupa vyavahara, mithya. This is called pravilapanam, merging it back. And then the buddhi itself is revealed to you, the consciousness. Where is jivatma now? Pure consciousness. So the jivatma, which is identified with the whole chariot and all, now is taken step by step back into its real nature as consciousness only. Alpana says, in, is Purusha in 13.21? As Bhokta referred to Jivatma or the Purusha we are speaking about. Um, Purusha in 13.21. Let me just see. Purusha prakriti sthoye bhungte prakriti jan gunan karanam gunasangosya sadas asad yoni janmasu. Yeah, is Purusha in 13.21? Bhokta referred to Jivatma or Purusha? Yes. So if the Purusha alone is the Jivatma. What is said there? The Purusha remaining in the midst of the products of prakriti. What are the products of prakriti? Intellect, mind, senses, body, remaining in the midst of this becomes the bhokta, the experience. Purusha becomes now the jivatma. Notice jivatma and purusha are the same thing itself. At the level of experiencer and doer, it is the jivatma. As pure consciousness, it is always purusha. Rodrigo says, what happens when anatma is Ishvara itself? Will you still call it anatma? So Ishwara is anatma or not? Anatma means not self. This is Advaita Vedanta's uh, glory. Ishwara, God, is ultimately yourself. If you make Ishwara into anatma, it will become an object and it will become false. Then You are pure consciousness. Ishwara is pure consciousness. Now, if you think of yourself as jiva, same pure consciousness with in individual body-mind is jiva, then that pure consciousness with cosmic body-mind becomes Ishvara, God of this universe. Then you can have a devotional relationship. But ultimately, it is not anatma. Ishvara is not anatma. Krishna clearly says this in 13th chapter, the verse, Kshetragyam chapimam vidhi sarvakshetre shubharata. Know me 
as the indwelling consciousness in all body minds, in all chariots. Krishna says to Arjuna, I am the passenger in all the chariots. So you and that means, but you say, I am the passenger in this chariot. But Krishna is saying, I am the passenger. Are there two passengers? No, a single ride. I and Krishna are one. It is, it's not anatma, not not self. Abhijit says, does the sevenfold ordering in the mantras 1.3, 10 to 11 correspond to Jagat, Chidvilasa, Chinmaya, Chinmatra levels, which are mentioned in your talks? Yes, yes, certainly you can uh, match it with that. Tima says, do I understand it right that the self is actually not self-aware as the concept of self-awareness appears only on the level of the mind? Correct. Is it then, then the self is dependent on the mind for self-awareness. No, it's not dependent on the mind because the mind is dependent on the self. See, in only in Sankhya, uh, consciousness depends on nature for everything. But in Advaita Vedanta, nature, Prakriti, Abhyakta, Maya, which we were talking about, is nothing other than the power of consciousness. So the mind is your power. Intellect is your power. The senses are your power. Physical universe is your glory. You are not depending on that. They are dependent on you. Yes, you are dependent on that for the self-awareness, like you, the original face, are dependent on a mirror for seeing your face. No doubt. Patrick says, although you can't fall again, can ignorance come back and make it appear that you have? No, it won't. Then ignorance, once dispelled by knowledge, does not arise again. Not like our ordinary knowledge here, we can forget something. Punita says, if we really understand, truly understand today's teaching in the core of our heart, won't we be there here and now? Absolutely, absolutely. And if there is still shakiness, it will be there for most of us. The technique which he will give next, how to make it, how, could, how to become Brahmanishta, centered in Brahman, that he will show us next. Sean Lee says, how can you negate the object, body, mind, intellect? Once you understand that your consciousness, how can you put it where it belongs? You just mentioned that a pure mind can overcome the object, ignorance, fulfillment can be realized. How can you negate the body, mind, and intellect? Indeed. <laughs> how can you negate? <coughs> it's worth thinking about. It's very simple. It's worth thinking about. Let me just give you one example. Oh, I didn't uh, read out one line of Shankara. Oh, he says this after giving that um, technique next. But he says there, all of this body, object, body, mind, intellect, they are, he, he says, these famous Advaitic examples, Raju Sarpa, rope snake, Mariji Udaka, mirage water, and Akasha, Akasha Mala, let's say blue sky. So these are appearances, these are not real. But one, one example will suffice. We'll say, how can I negate a body? So you're walking around, talking with your friend, there's a body, there are senses, there are objects, having a cup of tea, uh, tea, and then suddenly you wake up. You say, oh, it was a dream. What happened to the body and the friend and the cup of tea in the dream? They're negated. You experienced it, but you realize, oh, it was nothing other than my dreaming mind. Something like that happens to the enlightened person. Not that the world will disappear, but you realize it's nothing other than ID consciousness. If you want more detailed practice of that, you should see the non-dual meditation which I did in the Garrison retreat, which, is, which has been uploaded as non-dual meditation part one. How do you 
merge one level back into a subtler level, a subtler level back into an even subtler level. There's more direct and simple teaching is given. Krishnamurti says, Aham Atma Guda Kesha. Yes, again and again this Mahavakya is repeated. God says, I am yourself. Jayashree says, so the power of consciousness, Maya powers the world and the world is a reflection of Brahman. Is this correct? Yes. The world is a reflection of Brahman, no doubt. Maya contributes name, form and function. Brahman contributes reality, awareness and value. Sat, Chit, Ananda, uh, Asti, Bhati, Priyam. On that very high note, let's conclude. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu